Hello. Hello. I'm Tom. And I'm Andrea. And we're the hosts of We Drink and We Know Things. The podcast. We're a husband and wife comedy show. We cover all kinds of stuff from UFOs to cryptids. We also cover a lot of true crime and some paranormal. And we do it all while getting drunk. Yeah, we sit in our office, we have a good time, and we have some drinks. Every month we put out bonus episodes. We give you some cool stuff like creepy pastas and the glitch in the matrix. So be sure to come and hang out with us. We're a weekly podcast. Doused in alcohol. And lit with knowledge. Clinkies! Back to the True Crime Guys podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michael. How we doing, everybody? Ready for some crime? For some moita? Oh, we got some murder for you this week. We got a case that has a little bit of everything, don't we? Oh my God, does it? It has everything. I don't even want to say everything that it has because it's... <laughs> it, I don't want to spoil anything, but I mean... Right. Everything. Yeah. Um, good if police you... work, bad police work, wrongful conviction, obsessed mother, like just you name it, it's got it. Yeah, genealogy. If, like, if you were trying to get someone into true crime, this is the case you should tell them about. Like, here, look at this. But See, it'll this almost spoil them because then they'll expect this, and it's like, no, no case has everything like this one does. <laughs> <laughs> like, they'll right, move forward right. thinking that, no, no, you just gave them the best gift ever, and now it's like the first oh, time okay. they gambled, they hit the lottery, you know, or they, they hit jackpot, and it's like, well, just quit because you're never going to have that again. Oh, okay. So this is like you got to level up in true crime before you can study this case. Yeah, this is yeah. like the pinnacle. Yeah, yeah. Study something some study something more cut and dry at first, right? Yeah. <laughs> like go Casey study go it. study some Gacy. I had to slip it in there, I had to do it. <laughs> ah, Gacy. <laughs> we recommend you start with John Wayne Gacy. He's our favorite. No. That's a uh, that's a yeah, there's no easing into that one. That's just slipping it the whole thing in right away if you're yeah. going straight to Gacy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. So maybe don't do that either. <laughs> no, what's a nice mild case you could start with? A nice mild case? What if it's um, a starter pack for if you're just starting to get into true crime and you don't want to like you don't want to uh, freak them out right away, you know? That's tricky. That's tricky because you don't necessarily want to do something as easy as a heist because that might not be exciting enough. It's yeah. like so so there needs to be murder. There needs right? to be moida. Yeah, there needs to be moida, but not not too much to blow their minds. Maybe one of the poisoning cases. Those are oh, kind of mild, like Dorothy Puente. Yeah. Yeah, where she's just poisoning people and stealing all their money. Yeah. That's a decent way to get into crime. It's a yeah. decent way. <laughs> Less direct murder. Yeah, it's dipping your toes in. Yeah. Before you get this to one is slasher. not. This this one you get in the whole shebang. Yeah, yeah. It's not poisoning in this one. This is a very yeah. personal crime, up close and personal. Yep. Well, should we get into it? I think we should. I'm excited. This is a good case. Let's do it, man. All right. My mind, my mind, you know, I just don't remember that. Remember that. 
case this week is the murder of Angie Dodge. And there, there's a fantastic ABC 2020 special called Stranger Than Fiction, The Murder of Angie Dodge. Yes. And if they've been knocking it out of the park lately, uh, ABC. I was going to say, 2020 specials. if you guys are not aware, go on Hulu, type in ABC and, and go on the, tw- look at the 2020 special, this series. There are, I think there's like four or five seasons on there. This is and they're all. This is what, like the third one, the fire. third case we've done where yeah. we. I, I want to say, Mister Mister Do Right, or was that what was that what you named it? Um, the basketball player that oh, was killed. Yeah, Mister Tell Me Anything. Mister Tell Me Anything. Yeah, that was a, that was there was a 2020 special on that one. Yep. There was a 2020 special on. Um, oh man, what was her name? The, the high school girl that got killed by her boyfriend. That that was right, another right. 2020 special case that we did, and and then this week Angie Dodge. It's. Dude, they're not like an it hour out and twenty minute special on this case, and it was so well produced, so well done, and they're so relevant and current too. Like, uh, I yes. think one of their latest episodes, they even focus on George Floyd and and stuff that's wrapped up around that. I haven't seen that episode yeah. in particular, but um, they're still making these. And like I said, there are tons to binge on Hulu if you guys are looking for some different types of true crime cases. It's a co- good place mm-hmm. to start. Yeah, so uh, let's get into it. So this case takes place in Idaho Falls. And on the morning of June 13th, 1996, police got a call that a woman had been found dead under suspicious circumstances. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs apartment of Angie Dodge, who was 18 years old, and she would be discovered in her bedroom. She had been raped and stabbed to death, and her throat had been slashed very deep with a knife. There was It was a bloody, disturbing scene. Um... Angie was the youngest and only girl of four children born to Carol and Jack Dodge. She was born December 21st, 1977, and shares a birthday with Samuel L. Jackson and Ray Romano. Wow. A couple of legends there. Oh, yeah. You got to go Sam. You got to go Sam, man. Oh, yeah, of course. Too much. Of course. Every Quentin Tarantino movie alone is like enough for me to pick. Say what again? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Double dog dang I I love him. I love him. What is Ray Romano up to now? He's a good burger. Do what? I wonder what Ray Romano's Ray Romano? up to now. I don't know. It probably just I don't know, 
I really like comedy him. or something. I really like him in the Kitten Ice Age in. movies. Got that sitcom money, bro. He don't got to do nothing. He's getting that fucking mailbox money. Yeah, that's true. Those sitcoms, they never really die, do they? They just they just get replayed. No, and you, like you get those networks. replays on TBS every day, and just right. checks keep rolling in. Keep that's ro- the life right there. Like hosting a game show. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I want to say like the cast members of Seinfeld are still just like bang, like balling because of the, like all the replays they oh, get on TV. Of course, Friends, The Office. Friends, oh my god! Imagine all the yeah, like the, the secondary office. characters in The Office that haven't done shit since then, and she's got to be like, "I'm so glad I got that part." Oh my god! <laughs> Seriously, right? The Office yeah. just won't die, man, and, and rightfully yeah. so. It is. It is a brilliant comedy. It really is. Yeah. <clears throat> all right. So. Angie, uh, she had just recently graduated high school and had gotten her own apartment. She'd only been in her new apartment for two weeks. Two weeks. And part of it was that she had had a fight with her mom and moved out kind of on a whim and got her own place. And um, she had plans of enrolling at Idaho State University. She was beloved by friends and had a loud, outgoing personality. According to her mother, she was extremely intelligent and would t- wouldn't take no for an answer. Yeah. She was I wonder a, a where she got that, that from, was, right, Lauren? <laughs> Yeah, her mom. <laughs> her mom was so part of this so stubborn in a good way, persistent rather. Yeah, let's, let's use that term. Yes. Yeah. yeah. This this is we've. It's a common thread in true crime that we've noticed is that many times mothers take action into their own hands. They if if they're not getting the answers they want from detectives and police, they yeah. go on their own investigation spree and get answers. And that's that's part of this case for sure. That's right. Squeaky wheel gets the grease, and the mothers are the loudest yeah. squeaky wheels. Oh, my God, yeah. Um, so as a child, Angie was bullied due to her large size for a, for a girl. She was over 5 foot 11, um, even as a young girl. And so she would get picked on, and eventually she would go on to defend anyone else that would uh, she would witness getting bullied. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. So this apartment that she had was really more of a two-story house. It was a two-story house that someone had bought and uh, turned into a two-story apartment. Um, hers was the upstairs and this was in an older kind of rougher neighborhood in Idaho Falls. Right. That was, uh, and, um, as I mentioned, she had the upstairs part of the house was her apartment. Um, and the night she was killed, she had been at her mother's house until about 10 PM. So they'd had this fight two weeks prior. She gets her own apartment. She hadn't talked to her mother in that two week span. And this was the first time she had gone and seen her mother and they kind of basically worked out their issues. It's the one thing that her mother took solace in was the fact that at least she had got to see her daughter and they had made up from their fight before right. she was murdered. She'd actually like laid her head in her mother's na- uh, lap that night and her mother said she'd even like rocked her and said, I'm so glad you're not mad at me anymore. Yes. And she, her mother remembers her saying, not even in a blue moon could I be mad at you, mom. So they at least had this beautiful moment together. And that's why it's so important, man, to make, make amends with loved ones yeah. like that. You never know. You never know. Imagine if she, if she hadn't have done that. Oh my God, yeah. The regret that she would, I mean, she already has to live the rest of her life with a broken heart, but mm-hmm. man, that was perfect. Yeah, so the night she was killed, she'd been at her mother's house until about 10 p.m. Um, and then gone home, and apparently that night, someone had gotten into her apartment and perpetrated this horrendous crime. So the one good thing um, that from a detective standpoint was that DNA was collected from the crime. There was a ton of DNA left behind. Um, the perpetrator had left semen, um, just you name it, uh, all kinds, all kinds of, yeah, he um, wasn't a DNA pro behind. by any means. He, it was very no. messy crime scene. Very Seemed messy. to be a spur of the moment crime, not well thought out. Right. 
Yes. They were able to collect semen, a pubic hair, and skin cells that were underneath Angie's fingernails. So she had obviously fought with the perpetrator, leaving DNA under her fingernails from the perpetrator's skin cells. Mm -hmm. Right off the bat, I'm thinking it's got to be a big guy, right? Angie's almost six foot, and she fought him. Gotta yeah, be gotta be a sure. pretty pretty good sized fella here or or lady. Mm-hmm. But the person wait, the perpetrator may have not wanted to use a knife, but resulted to just because couldn't couldn't get a hold or get control over Angie. Right. Um, so police get to work questioning all of her friends and family members, collecting DNA from since they had all this DNA from the crime scene. They they use this to their advantage and start collecting DNA from everyone they question. Um, they would test over a hundred samples uh, within a week or two of this crime happening and unfortunately none of them matching the killer. And this thing would start to go cold. Six months would go by with no suspect emerging. Crimes like this were uncommon in this safe community of Idaho Falls and residents were obviously concerned that a monster was still among them. Doesn't Idaho walking Falls the streets. Doesn't Idaho Falls sound like a town that's used in like a like a horror movie? It's like yeah. this is the town where something just awful would happen. You know, yeah, it's like it's not supposed to. Right, right. It's supposed to be this peaceful, quaint town with a nice little river running through it. Idaho Falls. Yeah. Where, Even when I heard, like, in the documentary, like, this wasn't wasn't a great area of Idaho Falls. I'm like, Idaho Falls has bad areas. This right, is weird right. Like, what? <laughs> I guess every city does. You know, they, there's course. always like a, a war, but it's all it's all relative. So it's like I'm sure Idaho Falls is bad area compared to like Vegas's bad areas. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's yeah. That's a different that's a different topic right there altogether. Yeah. Right. So, um, like most mothers of a murder victim, Angie's mother, Carol, was relentless in her pursuit of justice. She, was press- she would pressure the police and hand out uh, and post flyers on a daily basis. She was at the police station every day, bothering them. Um, very much reminded me of, of um, Johnny Gosh's mother, yes. Noreen Gosh. Yep. Remember how she was just every pressuring day. the shit out of the police? Every yeah. day. And, and it, another thing that was so frustrating, though, for, uh, for Carol was... They had all this evidence. They're like you have, yeah. you have semen, you have DNA. Like this is a small town. Do something. They they can't mm-hmm. be far, right? That that was you what was think. so frustrating for her. You would think, but this person seemed seemed to not be connected. Initially, it seemed as though there, you know, it wasn't anyone Angie knew. This seemed to be a random attack. Yeah. Um, otherwise, all the DNA they were collecting from everyone they interviewed, you would think something would have, or one of her friends or somebody would have came forward and said something. Right, right. Um, but suddenly, seven months after the murder, they would have a break in the case. On January of 1997, police get a call with a tip. They are informed that a friend of Angie's, a man named Benjamin Hobbs, was arrested in Nevada for raping a woman at knife point. So mm. several states away, um, my home state, this man that's uh, friends with her. And this this person was not just a casual acquaintance of Angie's. He was actually in the funeral party and had been seen on video at the funeral carrying a large bouquet of flowers. Right. This is a somewhat of a close friend of Angie. And we know uh, there's been a lot of instances where killers go to the funerals of victims. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And this is a very similar crime to what uh, you know, ended Angie's life. Uh, a rape at knife point. She was killed and raped, and she was killed with a knife. So, yes. of course, police are going to jump on this. They're assuming this is now, this is now their number one suspect, and they're assuming that his DNA is going to match the crime scene. This is just too much of a coincidence. Right, right. So they've got to get this guy. They've got to get him, uh, question him, get his DNA. So the police take a drive to Reno to speak with Ben Hobbs. He was now their number one suspect in Angie's rape and murder. He was adamant about his innocence, however, and said that his DNA would prove he wasn't the killer. 
and he would willingly give, a, give the police a sample of his DNA. Police would then return to Idaho Falls to wait for the DNA results while they dig deeper into his, uh, his background and his group of friends. He was a member, Benjamin Hobbs was a member of a group of friends that referred to themselves as the River Rats. So the Snake River runs directly through the middle of Idaho Falls, and this is obviously what all the teenagers are going to do, is, is hang out on the river, ride jet skis, you right. know, whatever. Why not? And but and, lot, to yeah, be fair, to be fair, lots of different people, I'm sure, hung out at that river, and and I think they oh, they yeah. said that in the documentary. You know, it's not like just these river rats or whatever. I think there's a lot of people who would classify themselves as river rats in that town. I mean, I'm sure it's a selling point for living there. You know, it's oh, like 100%. if you're into boating or jet skiing or fishing, like it's it's so many things you can do on right. a river. Like huge selling point for staying in the Las Vegas area is if you're into that sort of thing. You got Lake Mead. So many people, that's what they do every weekend. That's right. Go out on Lake Mead. Yes. It's so. a great place to swim. Great place to go and swim. Swim, boat, fish, yeah. you know, you name it. Jet ski. Don't mind the bodies down there, though. They're, they're, just don't worry yeah, about them. Right. Just leave them be. A lot of concrete booted, booted bodies yeah, down there. don't worry about those. From the mob days. <laughs> don't worry about it. Yeah. Okay. yeah so so ben, ben is a member of this group of, called the River Rats, and they spent most of their free time on the river hanging out, riding sea dews and whatnot. Investigators uh, bring in a close friend of Benjamin's, a kid named Chris Tapp. For questioning, Chris had been a high school dropout for a couple of years. He'd been couch surfing and smoking weed a lot, um, kind of trying to figure out his life. Coincidentally, one of the detectives working Angie's case was a former high school uh, resource officer for Skyline High School, where Chris attended. So Chris T- Tap has this connection to one of the detectives, and the detective would use this to gain his trust a little bit. Right? They kind of knew each other; they were aware of each other. Um, yeah, about as well. This would be as, the main detective. About as well as you know your resource officer. I mean, did you know your resource officer at your high school, Lauren? I mean, you probably knew his no. face, right? If you've seen him, mm, I don't think so. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> wow. So I don't I, think so. The only reason I knew mine is because he actually he helped out with uh, our baseball team, and I played. He actually oh, okay. what he actually graduated and played baseball at my high school. And then ended up coming back to help coach there in like his off time. I don't know. What does a resource officer even do? That's what I'm saying. Like, I still didn't feel like a connection to him. Like, I would feel safer with him than any other police officer. I still felt like him being a police officer was still number one in his mind when he's at that school. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I didn't feel, I don't feel like this would really put him at ease, especially not someone uh, who appears to hang out with. Uh, you know, a, a crowd that maybe gets in trouble sometimes, you know, with the river rats and whatnot and doing this and that. So he might have had a weed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it wasn't, yeah. probably wasn't looked on very friendly by his resource officer if he did know him. You know what I'm saying? So. Yeah. So Chris Tapp, he wanted to do whatever he could to help. And that's where he screwed up, to be honest, because he, he, as we'll find out, he had nothing to do with this. He absolutely had nothing to do with this, but detectives nonetheless would proceed to torment him, drilling him in interviews and polygraph tests for over 60 hours oh, in the ensuing days. It's so brutal. They, they had a naive young kid here who didn't have much going on in his life, and he just didn't understand how this process works. Right. He doesn't understand how detectives do their jobs, and he was trying to help them when he had nothing to do. There's not, There's no way he could help them without fucking himself over. That's basically... Yeah, they weren't um, taking anything else for an answer. They no. weren't. And it, these these interviews are so are so oh. saddening because there's always that turning point, right? Where the, where the 
the um, suspect starts to doubt their own memory, and you just see yes. them. They're like, I don't. Everything I've said has been wrong so far. So but I. But if you're telling me I was there, I, maybe I was. Yeah. Maybe like, I was really high that night. I don't know. Right. Maybe I just have a bad memory, or maybe it's flawed, or. You know, and the police would tell them yep. things like, well, maybe your subconscious is just blocking it out. When I have a traumatizing experience, my subconscious blocks it out and I don't remember it. And then you're like, oh, shit, mm-hmm. well, maybe. I mean, I am a good person. So if I did something. Chris didn't bad, realize they, 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 they lull you into thinking that you can't leave as well. They won't, they won't make it clear that you can just get up and walk out. Like, they, you're not right. under arrest. He was not under arrest. They had nothing on him. They would yeah. soon find out that his DNA doesn't match. Uh, nor does any of his friends' DNA match. You would come; they would come to find out that it didn't matter to them right. because they had this kid that was. They knew they could eventually manipulate him enough to tell them what they wanted to hear. Uh, just much like we've seen in the West Memphis Three case with Jesse Miss Kelly. Oh God, it's, it's just like it. It's so yeah. I'm not going to speculate on Chris Tapp's intelligence or his, you know, what he would have scored it in an IQ matter, test. But he was honestly, yeah. It's it's not. It's more of a personality flaw than it is like an intelligence thing. He just was naive. He didn't understand. Like he 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 never had someone tell him like but, dude, they will take advantage of you if if you're not careful. Right, but it's detectives. also it's also a process of wearing him down though, Lauren. Didn't they interview him yes. for like 6 hours? That's what it, that's what like 60 60 hours 60 over the course hours. of like a couple weeks. Dude, yeah. that would wear anyone down. Multiple polygraph tests in which they were lying about the results and telling him he failed. When they, he didn't. You see what I mean? Which I don't even understand like, how that's legal e- at all. You don't even have to be of subpar intelligence to to be a victim of this. Okay. Yeah, Eventually, everyone every, gets tired, uh, yes. and, and you start to your judgment starts to get cloudy, and you just want out of there. And that's what that's what happened. Especially with, as a once kid. again with Jesse Miss Kelly, it happened in the um, in the making a murderer case yes. with the nephew. Yes, they just wear you down, and they convince you that if you tell them what they want to hear, then you get to go. But yep. that's not the truth. It's once you tell them what they want to hear, then they put you in cuffs and you never leave. That's right. That's exactly right. And he was just a kid, man. Just out of high yeah. school. So day one of interviews would occur with Chris Tapp on January 7th, 1997, where he initially, this is all videotaped. You can watch these tapes on YouTube. And if you if you want to have your blood boil, they're, oh man, I got so angry. Um because initially he maintains that he knew nothing regarding Angie's murder and wasn't there. Quote, I am going to be straight up and truthful with you. If I didn't, if I did know anything about this, I would say, but I do not know. That's the honest truth. I'm not lying. I'm not going to save his ass. I'm not even going to save my ass anymore. I'm just going to bring out the truth. Things would start to change, however, as they wore him down. Day two of interviews, January 10th, 1997, detectives conduct a polygraph test on Chris and tell him that he's potentially facing a conspiracy charge. I'd love to throw he around that down word potentially. You know, because then yeah. it saves their ass, right? They can oh, yeah. they can literally say potentially and then say anything they want. Yeah. That's what it seems like. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Now, they're allowed to straight up lie to you too. Yeah. You know, if, they, if it gets you to confess to something that they want. Right, right. Um, after being told he could be charged with conspiracy, he breaks down and starts crying. Detective Furman says, okay, Chris, now we're going to help. Uh, we need help to construct a plan for Chris Tapp. And he's basically talking to him like third person... Um, see what we can try to do to help you, okay? You know the burden on everything you're feeling, okay? We want to try and help you with that, all right? Chris says, yeah. Furman says, now we can't help you. And then Chris jumps in and says, unless I help myself. Day three of interviews. On January 11th, 1997, Chris Tapp would be arrested. Um, Detective Furman would say, we are going to be able to take Ben and drop kick him through the goalposts of life. I'm serious as a heart attack. So... They're convinced that Chris is going to 
now that he's under arrest for this conspiracy charge, that they're going to be able to get him to um, bring down Ben Hobbs. Right. Chris is going to tell them Ben did this crime and that Chris was there. And you know, two days and later, here's what's crazy ahead. to me about this point. Let's let's do a quick pause right here. Why has no DNA been tested? You have DNA. Dude, I think I, I would think at this point they're waiting on the results. I think they're they've taken DNA from both. But at a certain point, they do get the results back, and like they know, like it's a stretch that these dudes were there that they perpetrated this crime if none of their right. DNA was left there. But I just feel like they're trying to they're trying to pin this guilty plea on them before they even have the results of the DNA or anything. Like they're trying to get they're trying to get full on confessions before then. I feel like at a certain point, it doesn't even matter to them. Like they they zero in on a target. The DNA is irrelevant if they can get him to confess. They're fine That's with that. That's what I'm saying. That's terrifying. That's what's sick about this is then they're allowing the real killer to walk the streets and right. put away a fucking person the DNA who is may not or may not have been there. The DNA is everything. The DNA is the only yeah. thing. Like <laughs> That's the one true thing it's we know. the only thing. Yeah. My God. But for far too long, people have had the mentality, detectives and peop, you know, uh, the general society have had the, had the general opinion that if someone confesses to something, they must have done it. They did it. They would not. Why would you confess to something you didn't right? do? So many people can't wrap their brain around this idea. It's, it's a real thing. It happens so Absolutely often. is a real thing. There's so many cases to, to show you. Mm. So Detective Sir, uh, Furman, um, you know, basically uh, puts him under arrest. Two days later in Ely, Nevada, Benjamin Hobbs is interrogated again on January 13th, 1997. Once again, he denies any involvement and says his DNA will prove his innocence. Neither Chris Tapp nor Benjamin Hobbs' DNA matched the DNA of the killer. They, the police would soon find, find this out. It should have been the end however, of it. On January, however, on January 15th and 17th, Chris Tapp entered into a series of immunity agreements with prosecutors. Under the terms of these agreements, he had to provide truthful information about the crime, and in return, he would only be charged with and allowed to plead guilty to uh, aiding and abetting an aggravated battery. So, Here's a probably a deal. charge that might, you know, a charge that might get you a few years. Right. I'm guessing, um, and that's what they start to do too. They start to to, to make these these uh, kids believe that they've got you, and the only way you can help yourself is if if you give us everything you want, we'll lessen your charges. Like, you're dead to rights. That's what they convince them. Yep. And, like, you're either going to go down for the rest of your life or you can help yourself get, you know, some lesser charge for and just spend a few years in jail and testify against your friends. Meanwhile, this kid's done nothing. Literally nothing. Literally nothing. He has no idea why yeah. he's here. Yeah. No idea. It's, it's crazy. <clears throat> so, th of course, once they found out that the DNA of Chris Tapp and Benjamin Hobbs didn't match, they started to insist to Chris that there was a third person involved in the crimes. That was the only way that their story makes sense at this point. Oh, of course. It had to be the DNA of this third person. So they start, you know, basically grilling him on who could this other person be? Who was with you guys? And he comes up with a name, and man, I'd be pretty pissed. And I know that this oh, I know, Jeremy right? was. Jeremy was pissed. Like, what the, what the fuck, fuck man? <laughs> <laughs> so Chris then names a mutual friend of his and Benjamin's, Jeremy Sargis, right. uh, as the third man present for the murder. And obviously, if you believe the detective story, this had to have been the person who raped Angie because they don't have the DNA of Chris or Benjamin there. So this must be his DNA. So detectives bring in Jeremy Sargis. This thing is getting so out of hand. Oh, You're just adding in more people that had nothing to do with this. Um, but he was not having it. He was interviewed in the 2020 special. And this dude... He, he he was more privy to police tactics and whatnot. He wasn't saying shit. Right, he was right. actually talking shit to them. Um, he told detectives, you're barking up the wrong tree, <laughs> which I loved that that video. The detective was just like, what'd you say to me? 
<laughs> right. I'm barking up the wrong tree, bub. Really? <laughs> oh, really, bub? <laughs> not happy about it's that. Like, you're crazy. He's like, I'm crazy. You're crazy. I'm like, <laughs> but guess what? He walked right out of there after that. He's he sure like, you're did. barking up the wrong tree. You ain't got shit on me. I'm out of here. Yep. And he walked out. Meanwhile, Chris Tapp continues to willingly sit there. Mm-hmm. Well, at a certain point, they had arrested him. He had b- b- let it get so out of hand that now he had to sit there and deal with their shit. Right. Because he has these, uh, in, you know, immunity agreements with them. That's right. So interrogations of Chris Tapp would continue over the ensuing days. Detectives try to get him to give details about the crime, but he's unable to. Much oh, like we saw shocker. in the West Memphis Three case, like the, they just keep screwing up the details because they weren't there. They don't. They, they, know they're them. trying to help detectives, but like, dude, I don't know <laughs> where she lives. I don't. Know. I don't know if it's upstairs, downstairs. I don't know where it is. And so, like, right. why don't you tell me what I need to say? That's basically where they start heading. Pretty much. They get and that so, worn down. Well, they, Police not being able to get him to, to willingly say what they want him to say, they get desperate. They break protocol on January 17th, and they show scene photographs to Chris to jog his memory. Ooh. So now, you know, now he's going to have the answers to the test here. You know, they start showing him the pictures. Um, I, I think they even take him, like, over to, to Angie's house so he knows where it is. They're giving him all the answers. Yeah. And then on January 18th, they would conduct another polygraph test on Chris, um, and when asked, quote, was Ben Hobbs, Jeremy Sarges, and yourself at Angie Dodge's apartment when she was killed, he responds, I'm going to go with yes on that one. Mm. <laughs> Sounds real confident, right? Right. He's just like, I think this is what you want to hear, and <laughs> yeah. I want to get out of this fucking right. room. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, he was so the results before this. The results of, the answer to the, of his answer, response to this question were that, according to them, he was being 100% truthful. Um, according to the polygraph machine, which we would later find out was a lie. They're just, once again, just straight up lying to him to ultimately get him to confess, which mm-hmm. was their goal. Yep, they can't use polygraphs in court, but they don't need to, do they? There's a way to use them. There's, they fuck there was an interesting turning point in their investigation where they kept getting these negative DNA results back and yeah. they, they they go from like, okay, we're going to use this kid to get the real perpetrators. He may have been there. Yeah. He knows the killer to where they were like negative, negative. They keep getting all, like everybody they test that uh, Chris was saying was there yeah. and did this was negative. And then they just turn their focus on him. They're like, fuck it. We're not going to get DNA results back saying positive. So we're just going to get a confession out of Chris and just blame everything on him. Wow. I just don't. the police... Just, at this point, they would get Jeremy Sargis's DNA back and not a match. Once right. again, they just keep striking out. Now they're angry but at Chris. You know what this does? You know, and you know what? That's what this does. Exactly what you just said, dude. By having Chris in custody and making everyone in this town and everything believe that he was there, now the pressure rotates, right? It rotates off the police yep. onto Chris because they're like, he knows something. He was there, this yep. motherfucker. Why are you messing with us? Yeah. Why are you telling us all these people that weren't there are there? Exactly. Blah, blah, blah. Come out with the truth yep. so we can at least get closure. You're already in prison, you know? And it shifts the blame. And that's what these cops needed because you're, you, know, you were coming up on a year of the, yep. this thing not being solved. A, a gruesome mm. murder like this in such a small town, people were ecstatic. Oh, and you got, yeah, and you got Carol right. Carol up your ass every day, too. Exactly. She's coming in, barging in the sheriff's office. I mean, rightfully so. Rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So detectives then angrily drop Chris Tapp's immunity agreement and bring him back in on January 29th, 1997. Now they're mad. They're accusing him of messing with them after you know everybody he says was theirs. DNA keeps coming back as not a match. Right. Um, Chris says, so then why did I pass the lie detector test? Furman says, you did not pass the lie detector test. (laughs) 
we have video evidence of them like high fiving each other and telling Chris, "Good job, you you know you were being truthful, you were there." And now wow. they're like, "You didn't pass the test. We just told you that. That's just what we said." Oh my! You know, Chris has got to be like, "What the fuck is real right now?" Right. Oh my God. So then, on January thirtieth, nineteen ninety-seven, he's given another polygraph test. Oh, here we now go. detectives are putting everything on him, threatening the death penalty on him. Um, they gave him an out during this. They said, they tell him that if he only did it uh, because he was forced to, out of fear for his own life, that he could receive a lower sentence. Here we go. Offering up uh, a little help to you. Wow. You know, help yourself here. Yeah. Even though you did nothing. But like, rather than get killed by the, you know, death, get the death penalty, you can yeah. help yourself here. We could kill you for nothing, but we're offering to put you in prison for nothing. Okay. So. Yeah. What nice guys we are. Yeah. So detectives with Chris, they fabricate a story in which he was forced by Benjamin Hobbs to stab Angie. Detective Finn gives his promise to Chris that he will do everything he can to prevent a life sentence. Hmm. Of course, this is just his word. He's like, I, I, you know, I can't promise you that I'm not gonna, you're not gonna get life, but I'll, I will do everything. You know, I'll work with the, with the uh, prosecutors and the judge, and I'll see what I can do. You know, I'll let them know that you helped us. And uh, wow, Benjamin Hobbs too. He's still got to be thinking like, what the fuck? He probably don't even know about this yet. Yeah, you know, and Chris is probably well, they like, were smart enough to just deny and then you know be like, "Are we done here? I'm I, I'm allowed to leave, right? I'm out of here." Yeah, and until you can match my DNA to the crime scene, you have nothing. Yeah, and when Ben and Jeremy walked, Chris was the only one left, dude. Yeah, that's it. He was the one they were left holding on to. Yep, they had the, they had he their was left fangs with the bag. In. Yeah, he was bag of shit. Yeah. So the question of whether Chris was forced to stab Angie by Ben and Jeremy is asked with the polygraph machine running. He says yes, and the detective with a big smile then gives him a handshake and says, good job, you're done, you're toast, basically. They're lying once again about the results of the polygraph test, Mm. which is why these things don't generally hold up in court, you know? Right. Oftentimes, the police are lying about the results of it. Oftentimes, it's all up to interpretation by who's running the machine. Uh, There's just too many variables. Um, Chris and detectives then head back to the interrogation room where they the story is basically hashed out. This is like putting the final touches. This is the cherry on top. They're just working out the details, um, doing Chris in. Um, ben and Chris were, according to the story, were forced by... Uh, ben and Chris was forced by them to stab and kill Angie, basically. Wow. Like Benjamin, they're they're trying to paint Benjamin Hobbs as like the leader, right? And Chris was someone who was afraid of Benjamin, so he forced Chris to stab. Yeah, at Angie. this point, part of their, their their story is saying that that um, Jeremy's not there anymore. Right. They they added in a, a random was, name of some other dude that was supposedly there that no one knows who it is uh-huh. as well. So Jeremy, like by just being like, "Fuck you guys! What are you talking about? You're barking up the wrong tree." They were just like, "Let's not mess with this dude anymore." <laughs> <laughs> That's what's funny about it. <laughs> he just like came on so strong that they were like, "Nah, yeah. we'll just blame it on some random name that doesn't even exist," rather than mess with Jeremy more. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. I mean, how does this even add up? Okay, so right now you say Benjamin Hobbs and Chris are there. Benjamin's like, "Yeah, stab her." Okay, now let's leave while somebody else rapes her. What? I don't get, yeah. you know what I mean? It doesn't even begin to add up. No. And, and neither no. one of these guys' DNA was there. There was DNA under her fingernails where she fought back. That's what I'm saying. At this point, do you everywhere. really believe, do you, do you think the police actually believed that Chris Tapp was, was involved they in this crime at this point? Lauren, they or did they just not care? They just, they just, we got to get a conviction here. They, that, 
they just wanted the pressure off of them. I don't think they're even trying to get a conviction. They're just like, we just need to tell everybody that we have somebody that was there who knows more than us, and it's their fault yeah. this crime isn't solved. Mm-hmm. I think that's yep. really what they needed. At Forget that time. finding the real killer whose DNA, whose semen is on the victim. Yeah. We'll worry about that later. Right. But but they know once they get a guy convicted for this that they're not going to be looking for that person anymore. Realistically, they're going to exactly. move on. Exactly. Except that's not going to work because Carol Dodge is going to be up your ass still. <laughs> Thank which God. Is what happens. Thank God. So on February 3rd, 1997, Chris Tapp is charged with first degree murder and rape. Neither Benjamin Hobbs nor Jeremy Sargis were charged with any crime. Wow. Unreal. That is Angie's mother. I mean, how did he perpetrate this this rape and murder if his DNA is not there? Like it's just unbelievable that they could even get away with this. They charged him with that murder and rape when Wow. DNA doesn't match. First degree it's, too, Lauren. First nuts, that's man. terrifying. Yeah. This is absolutely terrifying. So Angie's mother, Carol, was at every court hearing and was in the courtroom for every day of the trial. She wanted Chris to receive the death penalty. She was, she wanted the book thrown at this kid. Right. She's um, a grieving mother. Who just this was the monster that had taken her daughter's right. life. She was, she, she believed the detective story that they had the right guy, of course. I mean, shit, this was Chris still a time story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he knows he wasn't the right guy. Oh right. my God. Imagine how convincing they must have been outwardly. They make you doubt reality. Right. Your own reality that you know. Right. Ooh. Yeah, it's not fair. I mean, these dudes go to, they, they, they read books and they, they go to school for how to manipulate a person like this. And, you know, this kid hasn't, he thinks he's just trying to help. He's doing the right thing. Right. And look at how it ended. I'm not, this is obviously not an indictment on the entire justice system and every detective. I think most of them. Nowadays, especially, uh, don't use tactics like this anymore. But well, they're held a little more accountable. Everything is recorded yeah. now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know it is there as well, um, but, but not always. I mean, you saw in, in a lot of cases through the eighties and nineties where detectives there was a lot of lot of interrogation off the record, and then when they got their story hashed out with the person, then the, then the recording turn on. is turned on. Yep. Yep. I think Jesse Miss Kelly what it was like he they they sat with him for like eleven hours or something, but like only like the last forty minutes were recorded. That is once yes. they had really worked out the details of his story. Yep. They just they didn't want him to to seem like he's shuffling through, which is something that it's nice that we at least have that in this case, because that is what really got the the wheels of justice rolling in this case was all those uncut hours. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah. So even with none of Chris's DNA at the scene. He would be found guilty. He says, quote, when the verdict came down, it was just pure sadness. I couldn't believe I was going to prison. There must have been a little part of him still that was like, um, you know, as we've seen before, like, I didn't think this that I could actually get convicted for a crime I didn't do. You know, I just thought eventually that the truth would come out, but yeah. you know. We heard that a lot with yourself like in, Damian dude. Eccles. He said that. I think he yeah. said something very similar to that right after he got convicted. He's mm-hmm. like, I just didn't think this was going to happen. That's why he was... You know, smiling and laughing. He's like, he I was guess kind of joking around throughout the trial. Right. I guess I'll jump through all these hoops real. or whatever. I didn't do anything, but. Yep. Hmm. So after his conviction, Chris gave a statement to the court quote, I am not the monster that everyone thinks I am. Judge, please spare my life. Carol and Angie's friends were actively rolling their eyes at that moment and pleading uh, with the media that and hoping that the judge would give Chris the death penalty. The judge. Thankfully decided in favor of life in prison, 30 years. I don't see how you can give a dude 
Because there has to be beyond, uh, you know, any reasonable doubt. His DNA wasn't there. Okay. How can you send it? Like, how can you give him the death penalty when his DNA wasn't even there? Right. And also, Lauren, like, I know I mentioned it earlier, but how the hell do you get first degree murder on this? How is how did they pl- <laughs> how did they prove that he planned this? How are we glazing right. over that? Even the story that they hashed out with him, he wasn't even really the like he he was supposedly forced to stab Angie. Right. right? Like he wasn't even the ring leader. And and. It's like, how was this planned? Where's the evidence? The story there... was back and forth the whole time. Yeah. Are there text messages? Are there emails? Are there, what was, is his car seen outside her apartment over and over Nothing, again? Dude. None Nothing. of that shit. None of that. Nothing. I just don't get how it's proven first degree murder without yeah. a doubt. Like this, this jury was ready to convict his ass. This, once again, this was still a time where people truly believed that no one would confess to a crime that they didn't do. It just, you know, why would you ever do that? And right. it's, it is hard to comprehend, but when you really watch it, when you sit down and watch these interrogation tapes, there's so many of them online with wrongful convictions. Yeah. They, they, they just really, they wear you down. They don't let you leave. They sit you there. They bring in different detectives constantly to work different angles on you. Right. They start making you doubt your own memory. Um, they start making you think that, you know, help yourself. You can be the right, you can be the bigger man. Just help yourself and we'll help you get a lesser charge and blah, blah, blah. And then yeah. you start thinking, well, maybe like I'm fucked either way. I should just take the lesser charges, I guess. Yep. And you will literally say anything. And then with the, they start messing with your mind, making you take these lie detector tests. And when you, when they're telling you, you failed a lie detector test or that you passed, if you're answering the questions the way they want you to, like in this case, if they're telling you that the results are not what they actually were, they're lying to you. Then you start really doubting yourself like, geez, was I there? The lie detector set test says I was there. Right. Fuck. I know. So frustrating. Mm. So. This was this this was far from closure though to Carol Dodge because she knew you know that there had to have at the very least been other perpetrators there. Their DNA doesn't match this person that they just convicted. The community was also still concerned. The question remained: whose DNA was left on Angie? There was still a killer at large, if not one, if, you know, if not more than one. Right. Um, much like other mothers we've seen in other cases, Noreen Gosh comes to mind. Carol was relentless in her pursuit of others responsible for her daughter's uh, murder. She would continue still to go into the police station every day, pestering the police for answers. She became a 24-hour detective, even after Chris Tapp's um, conviction. She would drive around through all hours of night and day, questioning yeah. people as though she was a detective, like putting well, herself at risk I mean, a lot that, of times. That DNA thing, like everyone else, it's... It should have drove them crazy, and it drove her crazy. Yeah. She's like, mm-hmm. his DNA wasn't there. The person right. who actually killed my daughter is not in prison, and I think it would take her. Re- it would take her years though to to start to doubt whether Chris Tapp was involved. I think she right. at this point she still was like Chris Tapp. I'm glad he's in prison. I hope he gets killed. Blah blah blah. But there's still there was someone there with him that did you know, did the the raping and the murder. Right, and I think so. it took time. I think it took time, and then. Chris Tapp being arrested, and it took all that for her to realize this is not the focus of my anger. Like, this guy is not the focus yeah. of my anger. There's there's something more here. And it felt like the case was closed to her. Mm-hmm. You know? And that yeah. just... And it was, shouldn't be. No. <laughs> that was just unsatisfactory. Yeah. She's like, you guys have only done part of the job, if any. <laughs> yep. Hey, Creepers. I'd like to take just a minute to tell you about one of our amazing sponsors, Care Of. Care of is where personalization meets your health needs. All of Care of's products are formulated with good for you clean ingredients that are backed by science. Care of's holistic online quiz is like getting a one on one consultation with a nutritionist without even leaving your house. 
Care-of makes it easy to declutter your cabinet and replace a mess of bottles with a dispenser of convenient daily vitamin packs. Spring cleaning doesn't have to end with our physical spaces. With no unnecessary fillers or artificial flavors in Care-of's products, you can feel good about what you're putting in your body. And honestly, the online quiz is a breeze and almost fun to do. It really forces you to take a look at your lifestyle, your eating habits, and how you want to improve. And I love the individual vitamin packets. Every day, I walk into the kitchen, I grab my pack of vitamins for that day, read my inspirational quote on the front, of course, rip those bad boys open, and boom, I'm ready to go. Easy to remember, easy to plan for. So plan on improving your health today. For 50% off your first care of order, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter code CREEPER50. That's TakeCareOf.com, code CREEPER50. So she would uh, she would read every case file, drive around all hours questioning people, even threatening Jeremy Sargis at one point, because, you know, detectives right. led her to believe that he was there and forced Chris Tapp to stab uh, Angie. Right. Uh, this would go on for years. Um, during the next 10 years, Chris Tapp was fighting his conviction through a series of appeals, challenging, am- among other things, the prosecution's voiding of the immunity agreement, whether he had diminished mental capacity and the effectiveness of his attorneys in suppressing his statements to police. Each was rejected, although a 2001 opinion by the Idaho Court of Appeals said that Chris Tapp's Miranda rights had been violated during several, although not all, of his interviews with police. It is said that the error was harmless. Uh, no, clearly it wasn't harmless because an innocent man is locked <laughs> in prison with a life sentence. So yeah, not innocent. Yeah, total opposite Idaho, harmless. It, yeah, and a turning point would be the Idaho Innocence Project would take on Chris Tapp's case in 2007, and Angie would start look like kind of working with them, and she uh, a, a big turning point for Carol Dodge would be in 2008. She would decide she's going to study all 60 hours of Chris Tapp's interrogation tapes. There you go. She sat down and saw what we were so upset about when you when you see how they did this, how they manipulated this kid. Yeah. Um, and she started to see that Chris legitimately knew none of the details of the murder, not where she lived, nor where her room was that she was murdered in, nothing, until police fed him those details over time. That's right. She, she would become convinced that Chris was never at Angie's apartment that day, that he was innocent, and she would track down his then, he'd gotten a new defense attorney at this point, right. a guy named John Thomas, and she tells him that she believes Chris is innocent. You know, he, he, he was, was in the 2020 boy. special. He was like, he sees her coming. He's like, oh, fuck. Oh, <laughs> what is she going to do? Let me get out of here. <laughs> yeah. And it was the complete opposite. You know, yeah. she was she was wanting to do anything she could help, anything she could do to help get this innocent kid out of prison. Um, and props well, not a for kid her anymore. Too, this man. is 10 years later. He's a full-grown man now, and he spent 10 years in prison, basically. And I have the utmost respect for Carol to be able to expand her mind yes. that way, to have an open mind enough to when mm-hmm. someone you thought killed your child and you're able to not only forgive them, but take in new information about them and sponge their guilt. Like, and now your mission goes to not only finding the true killer of your daughter, right. but also helping to get this innocent person out of prison. Yeah, that's, that's impressive to pick yourself up from that. Not only did she pick herself up and carry on, like she, she got this thing moving. She got these wheels and brought, abo- brought upon true justice. Yep. So Carol and John Thomas, uh, Chris Tapp's new, de- new defense attorney, they would contact Stephen Drizzen, who was an expert in the Center of Wrongful Convic- Convictions. They would ask him to review the tapes. Uh, Drizzen would study the tapes and write up a report that would later be used in Chris's appeals. He was, he was an expert, and he was like, yeah, this is a clear case of a forced confession. Oh, yeah, that was easy. 
That was easy for him. Yeah, that was one of the easier ones I'm sure he's ever studied. Oh, no doubt, (laughs) no doubt, no doubt. They couldn't be more clear. Yeah, there wasn't many people seeing these tapes. If you're wondering why other people did not notice these, these tapes weren't just available for everybody, were they? Only people involved with the case. Yeah. Even the jury. I'm sure the jury had to see it. I don't know. I I I don't think they saw the whole 60. They didn't see the whole picture, right? They just saw hand-picked parts of it. Yes, sir. They probably only saw what the judge deemed valid, you know, or relevant to the case. And that was probably... Guess what? The confession, confession parts. After they'd already worked out his story. Uh, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. So in May of 2016, Chris, now 40 years old, having spent half of his life in prison, um, his attorneys, led by John Thomas and the Bonneville County Police uh, Public Defender's Office, filed a motion for post relief, con- post conviction relief. They asserted that Chris Tapp's confession was the result of police coercion and deception and that the videotapes of three of the seven polygraph tests showed that the coercion and deception had been withheld from Tapp's trial team. <sighs> yep, there's clear evidence. They, didn't, they were not getting the whole picture no, and that his, his defense didn't even get the whole picture of that interrogation process, Hell which no. is fucking so wrong. Right? <laughs> so wrong. They're supposed to be given everything. Yeah, this, this administration at the time super shady man it's it's amazing yeah. it's, it's scary what else no, we, they were we alluded in the beginning of this that there was good police work and bad police yes. work and luckily this I, I think this thankfully this brought on some change and you get some really good you know a, a new good a really good new police chief that, that comes into the scene later yes um and yeah things would change uh, I, I doubt they're doing these same interrogation tactics uh, in idaho falls today no i highly doubt that um, so in addition, the motion noted that Chris Tapp's confession didn't fit the evidence. He had told the officers that the crime took place at about 1 a.m., but Angie Dodge had been with friends at about 12.30, and an autopsy showed her bladder was very full, indicating that she had been asleep for some time. Hmm. So it couldn't have happened, definitely couldn't have happened at the time that he said it had happened. Right. The motion would never be ruled on, however, on March 22, 2017, uh, the de- defense attorney reached an agreement with Bonneville County District Attorney Danny Clark that Chris Tapp's rape conviction was vacated and the sentence for his murder conviction was reduced to time served. So he would be uh, released from prison. And upon his release from prison, he held Carol, uh, Carol Dodge's hand as he walked down the courthouse stairs. So he finally, some, some justice is, right is, and not full justice yet because they have not found the true killer. This has got to put, you know, Carol's got to be so frustrated at this point. Like she, she thought she had some some justice when Chris Tapp was arrested so many years prior, and right. now it turns out that was all a farce, and and the killer's still been walking the streets all this time, a free man. Yep, yeah, and she had to do all that fighting just to get, just to get Chris released, you know, and now yeah. she's got to get back. Yeah, now, now they're wasting all this time one. getting the guy that was that was never the perpetrator. <laughs> she's free. doing all, she's doing all the police work. Seriously, uh, good work, Carol. Yeah, yeah, and and. Chris, Chris, uh, at this point, he's not satisfied because he still has a murder charge on his record. At this time, he got the rape, the rape charge dropped and vacated. But yeah, his murder conviction stays on his record, and it was re- his sentence was reduced to time served. So he's he's still not satisfied at this point in the uh, case. Hell no, obvious for obvious reasons, <laughs> and I'm sure a large lawsuit was then filed for, or at least later on, once they dropped the murder charge as well. Yes, he, as as there should be, he should be very well. He should never have to lift a finger the rest of his life. No, he lost, what, 20-something, 22 years of his life, and then... Yeah, he should be able to chill on the beach with margaritas <laughs> and never do anything again. Right. Seriously, because they fucked him up. Idaho Falls. And they fucked him up even when he got out with the murder conviction. Who's going to hire him? Like, what the hell right. is he supposed to do now? 
Yeah, unless they watch the 2020 special, then I would hire them. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. True, like, true. bro, I'm giving you a management spot just because I feel bad for you. <laughs> Don't fuck it up, though. I got a business to run. I'm just kidding. Right. <laughs> All right, so in October of 2017, we would get a new Idaho Falls police captain, Bill Squires, would take over Angie's case. And this is where it goes from bad police work to extraordinarily good police work. They do everything they can at this point, work with any experts in different fields they can to catch the real killer. Um, and this is at a time where Carol is still uh, still after her daughter's killer, and she's now pursuing new avenues. Right. One of them being genealogy, which would be the the real the the amazing way that so many people are getting caught now for older crimes in regards to DNA. We've talked about it endlessly. Um, certainly in the uh, Iran's case, mm-hmm. the East Area rapist. Right. Um, genealogy is really breaking new ground now. Hell yeah. um, and this, this, this would be the smoking gun to this case. She would reach out to a specialist in the field, a woman named Cece Moore, who was, who's kind of known as a DNA detective. Um, she at the time, and I believe is still working with Paraben Lat- Nano Labs, who specializes in using genealogy, um, for different things. One of them being to help catch, help work with law enforcement to capture, killers who left their DNA at crime right. scenes, but main, oftentimes many years prior. But mainly she used to like uh, connect people to their birth parents. That's how she started that too. in genealogy. Yeah, they used it for all different things. Yeah, but now I think she's kind of crossed over to using it more into the criminal field. Yeah. She's probably like, it's a little I more mean, exciting. As, as cool as that is, <laughs> as cool as that is to help you find your long-lost relative or whatever, right. it's got to be even more amazing to help capture a killer. Oh, like absolutely. To, to give answers to Carol Dodge. You right, know, it's she, like you're on Criminal Minds or something. so unfortunately uh for the for for angie and for um cc moore the dna that remained in storage they had kept the dna but it had degraded as as tends to happen over time if it's not properly stored i think it has to be you know remain at a certain temperature and all that to be perfectly preserved right um, it had degraded and only 61 percent of the profile remained just barely enough for paraben to move forward with their detective work. CC continued to search for genetic matches using the degraded DNA profile. However, they were only getting distant relative matches. She wasn't deterred, however. She got to work connecting the family tree using distant matches. She worked forward from the distant relatives to their descendants. Now, she didn't have the DNA matches to do that, so she had to use uh, you know, obituaries, wedding announcements right. to try and track the family lineage. Um, and she would successfully get down to a couple that she knew pretty like pretty close to 100% certainty this couple had spawned the killer right. whether it was their son or their son's son you know whether it was a grand a grandson or a son right. of this couple but there was only one problem with that though right this couple had a lot of sons yeah, <laughs> like yeah. A, and then when you start like getting a, like into a basketball uh, team yeah when you start getting into surname changes and things like that yeah. as well that was another um, roadblock that they ran into right right so eventually Cece worked the tree long enough that she was convinced she found the couple that had spawned the killer, Cleo Lathram and Clarence Ussery, Ussery, uh, who had gotten married in 1976. They had six sons. Um, It could even be a grandson of theirs that had perpetrated this crime. Cece was closing in. One of the six male sons um, lived in Idaho. Five of the others lived over a thousand miles away. So... It's that's uh, had to have been a moment where it's like holy shit. <laughs> one of the sons lives in Idaho. That's it. Let's go get him. <laughs> yeah. You think this is it, right? Right. But uh, there's more twists and turns to this thing to come. Oh yeah. Buckle so up. In, in 
Yeah. In November of 2018, CeCe made a trip to the Idaho, Idaho Falls Police Department and met with Captain Bill Squires to give him her findings. Um, they, the police would then assemble a team of eight detectives to begin following the Idaho son um, and his son as well in hopes of obtaining their DNA without them knowing. Right. Because he How had, weird, he right? Had You're being sons. followed around by a team of detectives that, you know, they're just waiting for you to like spit or right, because you know, do anything like... If they had they had their hand, their uh they had their work cut out for him because like this guy he actually had two sons the guy that they were looking for yeah. the son that lived in Idaho mm-hmm. he also had two sons in Idaho so they mm-hmm. had they really had their work cut out for him but they were also super excited because now they had three potential suspects it's like it's got to be one of these guys you know what I'm saying yeah and if and if we don't blow our cover and if we if we follow tell them properly to where they have no idea eventually they're gonna they're gonna drop something spit they're gonna throw a cigarette butt out the window something that we can test their dna right and and hopefully it matches the killer yep so they were following around the the main suspect the father that lived in idaho falls uh actually i don't think it was all idaho falls i think he, he just lived he lived like two hours what, away yeah, I forget what city it was, but um, they soon realized that he had expired registration, so they didn't really have to necessarily wait for him to to drop something with his DNA on it. They they came up with a plan to where they could have a state trooper pull him over uh-huh. um, and try to get him to do uh, to agree to a, a sobriety. Uh, what do they call those tests where you you blow into the? Yeah, it's just a sobriety remember? test, like a like a breathalyzer, yeah, yeah, yeah. breath test, breathalyzer. There yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they, they came up with this plan to have a trooper pull him over and see if he will willingly blow into the breathalyzer thing, um, and it worked. They pulled him over. He blew into it. They saved the cap that you know you blow into, tested the DNA. Um, meanwhile, the suspect's son had gone to a bank around the same time, and on his way out, he had spit a big clump of uh, dip into the parking lot. Disgusting. When they showed the clip of them like with the Q-tip. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. That's that's nasty. The, yeah, that's not the glorious parts of police work, is it? <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. yeah, this isn't what you had imagined when you went through <laughs> cadet school or whatever. Right, <laughs> scraping dip spit out of <laughs> a parking in a lot. parking lot, scraping up dip spit. Yeah. Yeah. You got to do what you got to do. They were excited, though. I think I would be, they too, were, They point. were high-fiving, yeah. chest bumping. We got two samples of DNA. Man, this is it. However, when the results came back, not a match. Not a match. Damn. Not a match. And they start to look at CeCe more like, what are you doing, lady? You're giving us bad leads over here. Yeah, what do you, what do you know what you're doing? <laughs> Wasting all these out man hours trying to get this DNA and it don't even match. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were an expert over here. Clearly, Idaho Falls detectives sound like this. Yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> When they're um, aggravated. So C- <laughs> yeah, so C.C. Moore went back to the drawing board, went back to the family tree under Clarence and Cleo, and was she knew she was on the right path. She had to, she had to believe in herself. And upon in- second inspection, she found that an, that an early grandson of theirs had had a wife at the time of the murder that was only 16 years old that struck her as a little bit odd um, to have married such a young girl, and that they hadn't had kids. She was saying, like, usually if you get married that young, it's for a reason. Right. You know, it's because you got get knocked up. Mm-hmm. Um, so she, she starts digging into that avenue. Chief Bryce Johnson said, the thing we were concerned about was, is there a child out there that nobody knows about? Did someone have a baby that's not in the genealogical record? They were right. An obituary miraculously led CeCe Moore to a missing person under that couple. Um, Helen Darnell had a daughter who was once married to an usri. After their divorce, a son was born under a different last name. His name was Brian Drips. Yes. He took a uh, stepfather's last name. Yes. So this is, man, this is how far down the rabbit hole they've gone. 
but it's got to be so exciting as you right. get a new one. You're like, oh, I got a new branch off this tree here I can follow. Right. And it also um, gives Cece confidence again because she's not like, okay, mm-hmm. I didn't do something wrong. There's just another yes. piece to this puzzle. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I hadn't found that new piece yet. Exactly. This was the piece, man. This was basically the final piece to the puzzle. You know, like, you know, you, you ever do a puzzle and you're like, fuck, we're missing one piece and you find it like <laughs> under the couch. You're like, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> this is it. Where's the this puzzle? Was it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, Chief Bryce Johnson said, when we looked at that name, Brian Drips, we realized that we had talked to him in the first days of the investigation. He lived across the street. Can you fucking believe that? Dude, and they didn't, what sucks is like, you know how they were like testing everybody's DNA initially? They didn't, they didn't test the guy across the street because he seemed just casual, whatever. Like he just seemed low on their list of potential suspects. Yeah. He had no Um, ties to her. Yeah. Aside from living across the street. Right. Um, he, he, at the time, was 30 years old and was going through a divorce. Um, so Carol Dodge, when she found out, and when she heard the name Brian Drips, she said, I literally said, you've got to be kidding. Brian Drips, he was right across the street. It took me 20 th- 23 years when they had it in the first 25 pages of the investigation. They had talked to him. Wow. The police report indicates that the day after the day of Angie's murder, a young police officer who was canvassing the neighborhood had briefly questioned a then 30-year-old Brian Drips he denied any knowledge of the crime, and police never asked for his DNA. About seven weeks after the murder, he left Idaho Falls. Wow. Fuck. He was right he got there. got away with it all this time. Right. In 2019, Brian Drips was now living in Idaho still, um, but only about 300 miles away in Caldwell. Police began tracking him in hopes of obtaining his DNA. On May 10th, they tracked brian as he left a gas station he was very habitual they were following him for basically like weeks and he would do the same thing yeah he would drive to the gas station and get his soda smoking a cigarette on the way yep um and they they got to the point where they knew exactly where he was heading when he left his house at given times so they had like police stationed at different sections of where he was going to head yeah waiting for him to throw his cigarette butt out the window they had, they had had a close call before where he'd thrown a cigarette out, but it was on a stretch of road with a bunch of other cigarette Dude, butts, and they just couldn't, but you know couldn't what? pick out which one it was. You know what? I got to thinking. I was like, all those cigarette butts are probably his. I bet he lights up a cigarette. <laughs> they probably are, right? Yeah, he probably lights up a cigarette. He probably flicks it out in the same spot every yes, time. Yes, he lights it up as he's pulling out of his drive, and by the time he gets to that intersection, he's done with it, and he flicks it out because the, the detective was like so mad. He was like, there's like 100 cigarette butts out here. <laughs> he's like, how am I going to? I'm like they're probably it's bad all enough. His. He's a just scoop him it's up. Bad enough. He's a rapist murderer, but he's littering the streets yeah. with his fucking cigarette butts. Fucking cigarette butts, jackass. The whole damn, the whole damn intersection. Probably all his cigarette yeah. butts. Nah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So on this day, and uh, on May 10th, they they were tracking him as he left the gas station after getting his soda, and this time they actually caught the cigarette he flicked out with it still smoking. They they put it in a baggie, sealing his fate. This time it was a DNA match. After all oh, of these. Yeah. DNA tests they had done, not matching suspects that they had in custody that they even convicted for murder. Mm. They finally had a fucking DNA match to the semen on Angie Bo- Andy Dodge's body. Finally. This was it. Finally. Um, so on May 15th, in front of the Idaho Central Credit Union Bank, detectives arrested Brian, Dip for the, Brian Drip for the murder of Angie Dodge. Mm. And he went pretty peacefully, too. He went without a fight. That was crazy, right? They, they literally the detec- detective got in the car with him, let him drive to his own home, uh, give his wife a hug, uh, put it, put his dog away or some shit. Yeah. Or, you know, he didn't want his truck towed. They were awfully nice to him. They should have just arrested him and made his wife deal with all that, like getting his to- his truck towed and all that shit. Yeah, for real. Well, they're probably thinking, you know, it's been twenty something years. Um, 
Yeah, you know, what let's I'm let them go peacefully and yeah, I guess not make it a bigger hassle than it has to be. I suppose right. And they probably did, he didn't want to make a big scene in front of the bank either. I mean, he parked right in front of the door of the bank. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, he's right there. So that would have been. But I mean, who gives a fuck, right? He he's raped and murdered somebody. Exactly. Throw he's his ass on murder. the ground. He got plenty of free time. That's for sure. Yeah, way too much. Yeah, throw his ass in the. That's damn what I'm saying. I'd make it intentionally as much of a hassle as I could. Yeah, <laughs> it sucks for his wife, but you know, you, you did ra- marry a rapist murderer. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Um. So Detective Sage Albright said it was pretty obvious he was nervous. He put on a pretty good game face, but his hands started to shake. For several hours, Brian Drips denied any involvement in, t- in Angie's death until. They told him, quote, we have your DNA at the crime scene. He then, uh, there was a noticeable change in his demeanor, and he eventually told us that he had been involved. Detective Albright says Drips also reported that he acted alone. He says that he basically went across the street that, that night to, to just rape her, but she fought back, and uh, he basically said, I guess I stabbed her. Huh. So I don't I know guess if he blacked out or what, but. Well, he said he was extremely intoxicated that night. Cocaine and alcohol mm. concoction, going uh, through a divorce at the time. Right, we're, it sounds like we're excusing his behavior, which we is are not insane. But we're absolutely no, not. absolutely. I'm not. just trying to, uh, you know, you're still responsible for your own it. behavior when you're drunk, people. That's uh, yeah, yeah, pretty important thing to know. You know, like if you, you're drunk and you get in a car and drive, you know, and you kill someone, you still get blamed for your actions That's when you right. drink. Just like if you get drunk and you go and rape and stab a person, still your actions. Uh, still the your fact actions. you're drunk is. You know, it's not an excuse. Not at all. Not at all. So two months after Brian Drips was arrested, Chris Tapp was back in court, this time to be fully exonerated. Mm, finally. Fucking thankful. Finally, man. Finally. Poor bastard. He, but yeah, he this, still needs to be compensated, though. It, oh, my God. Yeah. Done. He better be a rich man after this. Mm. This case was the world's first exoneration by way of genealogical DNA testing. This was the first example of it? The first exoneration by way of genealogical te- DNA testing, where they were able to trace, you know, find the true killer thanks to, you know, the, all the, the detective work through DNA, the DNA detective work done yeah. by C.C. Moore. Yeah, first yeah. time someone was exonerated because of that. Well, and in incredible. February of 2021, so this, that's how fresh this case is. Just in February this year, 25 years after the murder, Brian Drips pled guilty and finally was put behind bars for what he had done so long ago uh, back in 1997, and he will spend the rest of his life in prison. Wow. I'm surprised he didn't get the death penalty. I'm surprised Carol didn't push for it. Right. But probably because of the full so confession. So much of that anger had died off over the years, I'm sure, with Carol. Yeah. It was so fresh back when Chris was put on trial. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and she's probably just relieved that they finally found the guy. And know? they probably made a deal with them. They're like, you know, we'll give you life for a full confession. Yeah, yep. they typically do. It's it's another yep. plea deal. But, man, you know that guy so, was... yeah, talk about a case with a little bit of everything, man. Yeah, Literally. A little bit of everything. That's... Gosh. I'm surprised uh, old Drips didn't uh, see him following him. You know he had to have been sweating bullets, man. He probably wish he had some oh my guy in them pits, you know? <laughs> had to have been. Right. <laughs> oh my guy is an innovative all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company, specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. And at Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural paraben and aluminum-free organic ingredients. Guys, there's tons of scents to choose from, and new scents are being added all the time. 
Scents like vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, fireside, bergamot amber, true crime pine, which is one of our personal favorites because it was made for us. We're kind of biased. Also, barbershop, uh, pear, there, and there are new scents coming out. Sailor as well. Sailor is one of my favorites. And because you guys are True Crime Guys listeners, you can use the code CREEPER for 15% off your order. C-R-E-E-P-E-R for 15% off your order at shop underscore omigaya on Instagram or omigaya.com. That's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com. She's also got some fantastic incense available, guys. I just got some uh, rumor incense, some true crime pine, and pear incense, I believe. And I love them. They all smell phenomenal. They burn long and slow. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I love amazing. the incense as well. Yeah, if you got a scent that you're that you're in love with, ch- check those incense out, guys, if that's something you're into. They're, they're way better than any incense you're going to get at Walmart or Dollar General or wherever the hell you're getting them. <laughs> I promise you that. Right. All right. Yep. Check it out. I've been loving the uh, beard oil as well. My beard's getting nice oh, and long. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Coming in nice and thick for the summer. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You'll probably shave by the time it starts getting cold. Damn it, Lauren, doing it backwards. <laughs> now I'm kind of doing the I same do thing. I'm a contrarian. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of growing. A, I'm kind of growing the beard out a little bit too. I don't know. I just kind of feel like it right now. I, I don't. I don't know why. But either way, I, I'm joining you way over here. I guess. Yeah. All right, we got some reviews. All right, we do have some reviews. Uh, I want to thank everybody who's taking the time to go and rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen. Uh, I want to say thanks to Jordan Simpson in the U.S. Says, awesome, they've been my go-to true crime podcast to listen to. The way they joke around in easy conversation puts them above others. Thank you. We got mm-hmm. Alaskan Chick in the U.S. Said, just found you. Kicking myself for just finding you, but so glad I did. You've kept me company at work for the last few days <laughs> and can't wait to listen to more. You are amazing. From Georgia. So confused. You're Alaskan chick, but you're also from Georgia? Okay. Huh. Whatever. Interesting. You can move around, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> then we got Caroline4242 in the U.S. said, thank you. Can't tell you how much I enjoy listening to you both. I love Michael's intros and jokes and Lauren's storytelling and detail. Great sense of humor. You guys saved my work day. I'm a Patreon member and suggested you to many friends, all of whom enjoy as well. Thank you. Right on. Speaking Thank of Patreon, guys. check out our Patreon, yeah. patreon.com slash guys. $2 a month gets you access to the premium episodes that we do once a month. We did last week. Uh, if you were wondering why we didn't put, an ep- put out an episode on the main feed, it's because we did an episode on Patreon. Yes. So if you go and sign up for 2 bucks a month, you can listen to that as well as all of the other ones that we've done once a month for the past, what, three, four years? Lots mm-hmm. of them. Last week was the Australian murders, the True Row duo. Oh, my God. Down under. It was, it was gruesome. Vicious, vicious uh, serial killing pair. Yes. So With a lot of Australian accents to boot, mate. That's right. Patreon.com slash guys. And that's not all you get. For $5 a month, you get all of those episodes, plus you get the Just the Banter episodes. We do another show called Just the Banter. We record every Friday, and we answer any questions that Patreon members have. So if you, you know, want to pick our brain on anything, you want to learn more about yep. our... Uh, personal lives and things like that. We tell all kinds of stories on there. Absolutely. Talk and we things that interest every... us. We talked the NFL draft a little bit last week, if you're into that. like Just, right. just anything. So A little bit of everything. Sometimes we do some would-you-rather questions, mm-hmm. uh, strange scenarios, what would you do in this situation. So it's yeah. a lot of fun, and it's a great way to interact with listeners. So, yeah. And if you're a $5 member, you get that. 
you get everything. And you also get a gold creep band sticker as well. I just sent a bunch out. If you've been waiting, I, I appreciate your patience. I know there's people who've actually paid like three months already worth the $5. I mean, it hasn't been three months since I did it, but it just worked out where they signed up, you know, like a little over a month ago. And you're right. like, I'd never got my sticker. It's coming. I just, I just did them all last night. I got a big stack sitting on my counter to send out. So your <laughs> gold sticker way, is coming. I promise. That's right. That's right. Very prestigious. Yes. Very prestigious. All right. Uh, also, if you were already a patron and you're already caught up on all that stuff and TCG Productions, check out Strange and Unexplained, our other show that you can catch on any free platform. Spotify, iTunes, wherever you're listening, wherever you're listening to this show, search True Crime Guys and you will see Strange and Unexplained. That's where we tackle unsolved and missing persons and strange phenomena cases. Um, this past week, we just did one that is, uh, that is quite strange from what we've done before. Not There's no murder, but there is death. No murder, so, but a lot of clutter. A lot of clutter and a lot of death. So, guys, check that out. Something a little bit different. Probably is not something you've heard on some of your other true crime podcasts, but that's strange and unexplained wherever you listen. And if you'd like to support that show as well, you can patreon.com slash podcast, and you get access to another show we do on there called Strange Shorts every Monday, as well as early access to strange and unexplained episodes on Thursdays instead of their free release on Monday. That's right. Check us out on social media, at True Crime Guys on Instagram, at True Crime Guys on yep. Twitter. We have a Snapchat. Hit us up. Mm-hmm. Um, post that you're listening to the show and your stories on Instagram, and we will repost it. Share right. the show with, with your friends and whatnot. Um, what else was I going to say? Oh, we all uh, have the links. I'll... The links to everything, anything you need. Uh, our merch. Um, yes. If you want a link to our Patreon page, if you want a link to any sponsors we talk about on the show, all of that. Our sources for the show that we did, like the link to the um, documentary, or the, the 2020 series that we did used for this case should be uh, below the description of this episode as well. All of that. Right. And if you guys are looking for anything True Crime Guys Productions related, check on our Instagram. There is a link to our link tree in the bio. So you guys you can go. click there and you can find everything TCG related. Can't you just put the link tree link in, uh, below the description as well? Yes, it is. It's right okay. there in the uh, Instagram profile. So if you just go to our Instagram, it's the only link right there on the bio. Right on. So you guys can get everything TCG right there. All right. All right. That's enough. That's enough. We'll right. see you guys That's next enough. week. Keep creeping. Keep creeping, guys. True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder. Get murder. Get murder. True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder charming.